This is the Hockey News Podcast. Hello, everybody. Welcome to the Hockey News Podcast. It's Matt Larkin here with Ryan Kennedy and Ken Campbell. And I'm excited because my wife got both kids successfully out of the house <laughs> in the snow. So right now there's nobody in the house but me. So let's get crazy. And uh, there's a lot to talk about. We're going to start with Tony D'Angelo. Uh, the progressing story has been pretty wild. So many different rumors coming out of New York, whether he took Keandre Miller's puck and threw it in the stands, whether he didn't. The fight with Georgiev, whether it was Chris Kreider that broke it up or Keandre Miller. There's so many different stories. What we do know is that he's no longer going to be a Ranger. GM Jeff Gordon said that, that he's played his last game at the Rangers and he cleared waivers. So I want to start with this topic. And Ryan, I know you wrote about it, so I'm going to give you the floor first. Uh, does Tony D'Angelo deserve a second chance elsewhere in the NHL? Or is this the case of someone who has run out of chances? I think he's run out of chances because, frankly, this was like his third chance. You know, he was originally drafted by Tampa Bay. He was traded to Arizona. Then he was traded to the Rangers. And... You know, the, the sad thing about it is that the character issues and the body language, that's been with him since he was 17, maybe even before that, for all I know, but that's when he came on my radar. Um, this is not new, but, you know, NHL teams thought that his ability to move the puck up the ice, his ability to create offense from the blue line to help a power play was worth everything else all that other baggage so for me he's already gotten a bunch of chances and when I look at the landscape now in the NHL I'm just not sure which teams would take the chance you know like if he can't crack the Rangers blue line what other blue lines are out there if you look at rebuilding teams like Ottawa or Detroit or Anaheim they don't want that kind of energy around their young players and if you look at teams struggling on the power play like Minnesota or Nashville, you know, they have defense, just the power play is not clicking right now. And do you really want to take up a roster spot on a guy who can really only play limited sheltered minutes and then help on the power play, which obviously, you know, you get your, your best players rewarded play time. So I just, I don't see a fit anywhere. Yeah, I mean, let's let's put it this way, guys. The, the Rangers have given up on the fourth highest scoring defenseman in the NHL last year, um, <laughs> and and a guy that they're they're paying four point eight million dollars to this year and next year. Uh, they've basically given up on him, and they're playing guys like Brendan Smith and Anthony Boteto ahead of him. So that to me, that just speaks to you know a, a complete and utter cancer a toxic person to have around your team obviously um you know i mean i mean he's 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 a guy that it seems to me like this guy is turning out to be he's more probably more talented but he's like sean avery 2.0 right here as far as i as far as i can see you know a guy who just at some point you know you you look away you look away you know you, you put up with the with the silliness you put up with all of the, the sideshow that goes on with the guy. Uh, but then that just gets to the point where it's just not worth it, no matter how good he is. And I mean, you know, I mean, the kids obviously got a ton of talent. Uh, but to me, it looks like for at least the next couple of years, he may be showing it off in the KHL. 
Yeah, I think I'm with you guys. And it's funny, the KHL has, has established itself as the place where, you know, people with bad character go to, to get reborn or get a second chance. But the thing is with D'Angelo, even if we decided to give him the big time benefit of the doubt, we said, okay, no, the rumors are unsubstantiated about, you know, taking Andre Miller's puck and throwing it away. Even if we, we struck that from his record, even if we said, okay, we're not going to think about politics. So he's a big Trump supporter. And, you know, he's supporting the storming of the Capitol. Even if we get rid of that, you still have a guy who has a repeated track record of just being not a good person. And if you asked either one of us or any of us, three of us, seven years ago, his draft year. So seven years ago would be, you know, January, 2014. What do you think of Tony D'Angelo? We'd say, well, uh, really talented, but the kids got a reputation as being, you know, real cancer. That was seven years ago. And he had two suspensions, major junior, one for using slurs uh, against a teammate, one for abusive officials. So the pattern is so long. It's so repeated. Uh, and so that, that's why I think, you know, it's, it's not like it's a one-off and it kind of reminds me of, you know, I feel like everyone has that friend that they're always getting into various fallings out with people and they're always telling you stories. Oh, I got the, you know, this person did all this bad stuff to me. And you start to realize that friend is always the common denominator in the story. You think maybe they're the problem. And I think with Tony D'Angelo, when, when trouble and incidents like these follow him everywhere, I think it's, it's pretty safe to say he's doesn't sound like he's the best person. And I think, Maybe we see a scenario where in you know five years he's got this big rebirth, but I think he really has to show true mea culpa and that he's a changed person. And and even just the, the bigotry stuff alone is enough to I think it should be enough to deter teams from playing him. And even from a hockey standpoint, it's like, well, he's also terrible defensively if you want to use the X's and O's argument as well. So it's a lot of offense, but comes with terrible defense and by the sounds of it, being a terrible person. So I, I'm with you guys. I don't think he deserves a second chance anytime soon. Um so at the time of recording this podcast, we've learned yesterday that the New Jersey Devils have, have 10 players on the COVID-19 list. We have Vegas still not playing right now. And I don't know about you guys. I'm starting to wonder, and I, you know, I was pretty optimistic given how well the NHL handled the bubble, but it's starting to make me wonder now, is this going to work? Is, are, are we just, you know, is it just swimming upstream, swimming upstream? And is the season going to be able to be completed without a bubble? Or are you starting to get skeptical? So Kenny, let's start with you. Well, I mean, the reality, Matt, is there's no other choice but to do it this way. The players were never going to go into a bubble for an entire season. And 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 I get that. <laughs> you know, I mean, I, I don't think I'd want to be away from my family for for six months. And 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 I mean the bubble is, you know, it's it's a it's a hard life. Like there's a lot of isolation in there. So I mean, there is no other way of doing it. The NHL has no choice here. I mean, you know, I, I mean, football, you know, the NFL, they've had, they had some problems, but you know, the Super Bowl is Sunday. They're going to finish their season. Baseball did it without, without a bubble until the playoffs uh, last year. Basketball is moving along. Um, I, I think this can be done. Um, I, I, I don't, you know, I mean, we don't know what the circumstances are. I mean, we do know in one case that a team, violated the the uh, the protocols and the washington capitals um but for all we know you know maybe somebody from the devils went to the grocery store and and got it and passed it on to everybody on the team so you can't help those things but i i think i think the first thing is is like the the, the regular season ending may 8th or whatever like forget it <laughs> forget it that's not happening like they may have to extend the season by a week, two weeks, three weeks, who knows right now. Um, but, uh, but I, I think they don't, they don't have much of a choice, but to kind of soldier on and, and hope that they can get, to, you know, some of these teams to make up the games that they're all missing. 
Yeah, and I mean, really, it comes down to the will of the league and the Players Association to do this. And Ken made an excellent point. You know, all the other major sports went on, even though, you know, with the NFL, they had a ton of cases and continued to have a ton of cases as the season went on. But there's money to be made and there's eyeballs to attract and, you know, the, the powers that be, they don't like losing money. And they're already going to lose a bunch. They don't want to lose any more. If they can make it happen, they're going to do it. And as for the players, you know, I'm, I'm sure some of them have concerns about, you know, their health and safety, but they also love playing the game and they're super competitive. And I think when you have that mixture, all it really takes is uh, a window of hope. And they have it so far. We've had most games go off without a hitch um you know the central division's a bit of a mess right now where you have i think three teams that have only played five or six games but there is a schedule and you know as ken said if they need to extend the, the schedule the during a season for a week or two i'm sure they'll do that there's also if things really go sideways they can go by points percentage um, as we've talked about in the past on the podcast, like the AHL did with its California division when it first came out. So, you know, there are routes to get to an end of a season here. And then with the playoffs, maybe you do the playoffs in a bubble or some sort of modified bubble eventually. But I just think that there's too much at stake for both the, the league and the players. And, you know, they've, they've made their choice. You know, I, I don't think I'm, as optimistic and not, I wouldn't say you guys are optimistic, but I think I'm more pessimistic. And, and I think that hockey in particular is the perfect storm of, of dangerous conditions for COVID because if you look at football, like you said, Ken, football, a lot of teams play outdoors. Right. They play once a week in the NFL, they have bye weeks So they have the luxury of being able to move games around and move teams by weeks around baseball. You're playing outdoors for the most part as well. You can have double headers to make up games. So they really caught up quickly. You don't have either of those things in hockey. You also have indoor. And I know, some public health officials that I was speaking to for a different story, they explained that, I mean, I don't know, I'm not going to pretend to understand the science behind it, but the, the, what you have to do for the ventilation of an arena and keeping the ice cold, it creates conditions that are extra virus friendly uh, is my understanding. So it's even more dangerous to be in, an, in a hockey rink compared to any other major post-sports venue. So every box is checked for bad conditions for COVID. So to me, I'm thinking the, the for the playoffs, it's going to have to be a bubble, whether the players want it or not. And I'm just, I just don't know if we're going to be able to get through the six-game season. I think it might end up having to be, you know, points percentage, and every team has to play a minimum of 45 games uh, to qualify, and then you do a bubble or something. And it's not going to be pretty, but I, I don't know what other choice we have because I just think that the way the – and the nature of the sport, you have the contact of football, but you have the indoor atmosphere of basketball, and you have the condensed schedule of baseball. It's the perfect storm of everything wrong in terms of creating COVID-friendly conditions. Um, next up for you guys, uh, you know, <laughs> the Canadian division is uh, – it's something right now. It is something. And I really – I feel like a lot of eyeballs were on that Oilers Senators game on Sunday night, you know, with McDavid dry side, it looked like they were going to challenge Daryl Sittler after the first couple of periods. They didn't get 10 points, but they got a lot of points and we're just seeing some really bad teams and bad hockey in that division. And I'm kind of wondering, uh, and Ken, I'm going to give you the floor first. I know you wrote about this, but is this division kind of turning turning out to be a farce and will the winner of this division get steamrolled in the playoffs? What do you think, Ken? 
Well, I, I disagree with you that it's bad hockey. It's actually really fun it's to watch. Fun. It's fun, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Fun. Yes, yes. And and that unfortunately, usually the more fun a game is to watch, the worse teams that are playing. Um, so yeah, so I mean, the, the, your your point is well taken. I just see it an entire division where nobody really cares much about playing defense. Um, you know, name me one elite defensive team in in the in the north division Calgary. Yeah, i don't i don't know they i don't think they're an elite defensive team i don't think they're an elite defensive team but they're they're an okay defensive team um you know i mean connor hellebuck is the is the reigning vezina trophy winner and he actually played really well last night after a rough start but there's not a goalie other than jacob markstrom in that division who's playing up to standard as far as i as far as i can see um, you know, I, I just think that it's a division where the teams know what they are. And, and I think it, the fact that they're, they're all clumped together makes them their own worst enemy because they, they're not forced to play any other style than, okay, let's just try and score our way out of trouble all the time. Right. And, and I think, I think as the season goes on, I, I predict they're just going to like the teams in the, in the North division are just going to say, screw it. Let's do let's be what we are let's try and win this division and let's get to the semis because you know i mean one of these teams is going to make the final four and you know who knows maybe you end up in the final four against a a team from the uh, you know the west division that 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 you know that that surprised everybody who knows and then and then you've got a ticket to the stanley cup final i i think personally i think whoever comes out of that division is going to get demolished in the in the playoffs um but yeah i i really think it's uh it's not a great, it's like I said at the beginning of the year, it's a bunch of good teams, except for Ottawa. Uh, but it's, there are no, there are no elite teams in this division, in my opinion, not, not a single one. See, I have a different perspective on this. Um, you know, outside of Ottawa, I, I think that the grouping of teams is all pretty good. And, you know, when we were doing rankings, other than, you know, Toronto being near the top, there was a lot of variation on, on what we thought. And right now I think it's a bit obscured because Calgary hasn't played as many games as everyone else. It's just sort of a weird schedule fluke. Um, but, you know, Toronto is getting a lot of wins and, you know, we, we still know they can play better. Montreal has been very good. Um, you know, they got stopped by Calgary the other night. And Vancouver, obviously up and down. The Canucks cannot beat the Canadians consistently for whatever reason, and that's probably going to hurt them. But I think there's a lot of talent here. And you look at some of the best players in the league, they're in this division. You look at McDavid and Dreisaitl. Um, you look at Matthews and Marner. You look at, um, you know, everybody that Winnipeg has. Not everybody, but, I mean, Winnipeg, you know, with Shifley and Ehlers um, and Connor and Wheeler. You've got some really good forwards, and yeah, it's, it's not a lot of defense, but you know what I'm curious about, uh, sort of building up what Ken said, is when you once you get to the playoffs and you're playing, you know, uh, another division, yes, yeah, somebody else could surprise, but also those teams could get grinded down. I mean, if you're playing teams from divisions that are really defensive and really physical, they're going to hammer on each other, and all of a sudden, if you're playing a skill game coming out of the Canadian division you might be a lot fresher than your opponents. And, you know, we know that the Stanley cup is a war of attrition. The fact that you're going to get to the semifinal 
potentially unscathed when it comes to injuries would be a huge advantage for any team in the Canadian division. Um, so I, I don't think it's necessarily a, a joke division. I don't even think it's the worst division. I think you look at some of them out there, they're really unbalanced. And at least with the Canadian division, you look at maybe five, six teams right now that should be playoff teams. And I don't think you can say that with every other division. I think there's some divisions out there where there's really only three good teams. Interesting. Yeah. I think I, I, I land on the side of kind of worried about the Canadian division and, and I was just looking at some numbers. You've got three teams in the division that are allowing more than three and a half goals per game. Last year, there was one team in the entire league that allowed that many. And it was the Red Wings who were the worst team in 20 years. So you've got three teams in the division allowing that many. You've got Ottawa allowing almost five goals per game. They've been outscored 44 to 22, doubled. And, you know, when it comes to playing a team like Ottawa, I think it could create a problem where, you know, if you're, if you use a video game analogy, you're always playing, you're playing NHL 21, you're playing on rookie all the time. So you play a whole season and you're playing a whole bunch of your games on rookie level and you're really honing your skills. But then when it comes to playoffs, you have to, you have to play it pro or all-star. And it's like, whoa, this game's way faster and it's a lot harder. All these things that we were doing on Senators that were really easy, they don't work on, you know, the Boston Bruins or whatever. So I do worry that uh, it's the opposite of iron sharpening iron. It's like, it's like felt, dull's felt <laughs> in the division. Uh, and I do think, you know, to me, the Habs look significantly better than any other team. And that includes the Leafs. I think the Leafs, they probably look comfortably like the second best team. But, you know, and this is sort of a follow-up question I had for you guys. I'm looking at this vision, it's really fun. I'm enjoying it. I'm always a fan of just, you know, fun is good. But even me, who's like the most pro-fun type of hockey watcher, I mean, I'm even starting to feel like it's a little bit of a farce and that we're going to look back on this season. And, it's you know, it's like, like even just looking at the scoring race and McDavid and Dreisaitl will have, uh, last I checked, they, they were 22 and 21 and third place was 14. And it just feels <laughs> like there's, there's an artificial, there's an art of artificiality to the results, especially in that division. But I'm kind of, I'm curious if you guys feel the same. So I don't know. Wayne, if you want to, Ken. Yeah, I do. I mean, Connor McDavid is on pace for 112 points. In our pool book this summer, we had him scoring 120 points and we had Leon Dreisaitl scoring 107. But caveat we did it based on what we thought was going to be an 82 game season Connor mcdavid's on pace for 112 points in a 56 game season leon dreisaitl's on pace for like 109 points in a 56 game season i do agree with you i think i think there's a confluence here of the fact that dreisaitl and mcdavid are you know that you could you could argue they they may be in the midst of their best NHL season this season based on their ages. Drysaddle's twenty five, McDavid's twenty four. It wouldn't be a stretch to suggest that this might be their, they might be at the height of their powers, and they're playing in a division where nobody plays defense. And for nine games of the year, they're going to be able to just pile it up against a Senators team. So yeah, I think I think there's a bit and and I think you know when you talk about this division, what you also have to remember is. Like it's like it's like in the World Juniors when Canada plays against like Austria and and you see these these guys dangling and oh my God the skill this is oh man this is amazing well these teams are all playing each other <laughs> you know so when bad teams play each other of course there's going to be guys that look really good yeah but again you know Ottawa's the one bad team and then you have 
six teams that are all variations of pretty good to decent. And here's the thing about the playoffs. Ottawa's not going to make the playoffs. You're only going to have four teams coming out of that division. And they're not going to get surprised because they're not playing Boston in the first round. They're playing each other. So you're going to have to go through Toronto or Montreal uh, or Calgary and then, you know, either Edmonton, Winnipeg or Vancouver just to get to that semifinal. So as much as I love the felt, you know, doing whatever it does with felt, um, <laughs> you know, you're going to have to go through Carey Price or Connor Hellbuck or Austin Matthews uh, just to get to that semifinal. So I think they're going to be as sharp as they need to be. Um, you know, Ottawa's going to be long gone by that time. I'm told that I froze while asking that last question. I, I was just trying to get meta. I, I was I was making my question a farce as I discussed a farce. Oh, oh okay. Well, yeah. well, well it, it wasn't felt that way. Oh. Hey, I didn't hear you. <laughs> yeah. uh, so the Pittsburgh Penguins, we know since the last podcast, Jim Rutherford had the surprise resignation last week and we're told it wasn't health related. Um, but, you know, he's moving on and maybe, maybe forever. Maybe he'll come back later. We don't know. But the Penguins are in an active search for their next general manager. There's been talk of whether, you know, they're going to try and poach Tom Fitzgerald. But what I'm curious is, you know, for so long, Jim Rutherford, his reputation as the Penguins GM has been the throttle up guy and, you know, rebuild, who rebuild Schmeebuild and trading away every single first round draft pick almost that you have and gutting the farm system because you're just kind of trying to go to the end with the prime years of, of Crosby, Malkin, Latang, et cetera. But I'm curious now you are bringing in a new general manager, which means an opportunity in theory to change philosophies. So if you are this new GM, what do you do? Do you decide to start the rebuild or do you continue the mission of Rutherford and try and still squeeze competitive years out of Crosby and Malcolm while they're still with the team and still in their prime? Where do you land on that, Mr. Kennedy? Okay, so this season, it's a sunk season. You do nothing. You do not have a first round draft pick um, but what I, what I would do is, I mean, if you can get that first round draft pick back now, that's great, but I would actually recommend this strategy and that's that you do nothing this year. You certainly don't act next year. You try to find trade partners for Chris Letang, Jason Zucker, Brian Dumoulin. I know they all have modified no trade clauses, so you're a little limited, but you can work with the players. You need to get at least one more first rounder in 2022. Two would be great because they do still have their first rounder in 2022 for now. That's an amazing draft right now. Shane Wright, Brad Lambert, Matt Savoy, Uri Slavkovsky. It's an incredible high end. This year's draft, not as good. So if you miss out this year, it's okay. I mean, I would prefer that they had a first rounder this year, but obviously they don't. So you move on. If you can move all those guys out, next year is also Evgeny Malkin's final year on his contract. So you have to make a big decision there. And, and Malkin has to make a decision too. I mean, he's going to be in his mid-30s by then. Does he want to continue to play in the NHL? I mean, he's had a Hall of Fame career already. Maybe he just wants to go home, play a little bit in Russia, pull off a Pavel Datsuk, and uh, you know, right off into the sunset. But you have to make a big decision there. Um, so I think what you do is you start the rebuild next year, 
you try to get a foundational player if you can. It's you know it's going to be tough because you might not be horrible because you still have Crosby in your lineup. You still have Jake Gensel. But I think you start to strip down next year, start building up that pipeline because you don't have a lot coming. You have Samuel Poulin and you know Nathan Legere. Those are good prospects, not great prospects. You know neither were on the World Junior Team for Canada. Um, you know, Pierre Olivier Joseph is looking like a real good young defenseman, so that's very helpful. But you need more of those guys. You know, you need a lot more of them. So I think that's my strategy. And uh, you know, good luck convincing Crosby that you're not going to be a, a top end team. But just tell him to look at all the rings he already has, and if he holds on for a couple of years. Um, you know, maybe you can make a quick turn. If you lucked into Shane Wright, maybe you end up going for it again in a couple of years. But, I mean, you, you've got to tear down at some point. Yeah, I mean, the day of reckoning is coming for this team. I mean, you can, you know, I mean, it's not like this is something that we haven't been, we haven't seen since basically 2017 when they last won the Stanley Cup. Um, you know, I mean, the day of reckoning is coming and, and it's going to be really, really ugly. And, and that's okay, as far as I'm concerned. I, I think, you know, I mean, you look back on what you've won and what you've accomplished with this group, you know, and I always say it's better than, it's better than you know, than, than you know, I, I think with the exception of maybe the LA Kings and the Chicago Blackhawks, everybody else in the league would, would, would trade places with the Pittsburgh Penguins right now, you know? Like, think of, you know, the San Jose Sharks, how they built their team and built their team and built their team. And now... They're, they're, they've got zero to show for it. You know, Washington, I, oh, actually Washington's playing really well this year. You know, maybe they, maybe they have another shot at it, but they've only got one cup. You know, I mean, what this group has done, I think has been amazing. Um, but I, I do agree with you, Ryan. I, I don't think this year is the year to do anything and in, in, including hiring another general manager. I think you sort of see where things are in the off season. You see where, you know, where, where Evgeny Malkin's head is at. You see where Chris Letang's head is at, you know, you maybe even see where Crosby's head is at and, and who knows? I mean, a lot of these are, you know, like, it's really, I always say it's like, it's like fantasy hockey to say, Oh yeah, well, you should be trading all these guys out and getting all these picks and getting all these draft picks and, and, you know, and then building up again. And, and I mean, that's, that's, it, that's way easier said than done, like way easier said than done. Um, so I, I think it's, you know, but the, the day of reckoning is coming and, the rebuild is going to have to happen, whether it happens aggressively or they just sort of all age out and, and, and they're bad for a while. I mean, it's coming. So they're going to have to, I think the most important thing is, is to hire a GM who's got a track record of being able to do that and, and has a track record in player development. You know, I mean, cause a lot of the guys they had there, the Bill Guerins, the Tom Fitzgeralds, you know, guys like that, you know, they were bringing along a lot of, guys that were unheralded that you know like th that had been given up on by other organizations you know the patrick hornquist the, the john marinos guys like that um you know and coaches i mean wilkes berry has been a an absolute coaching nhl coaching factory over the years if you look at the guys that have come out of there so i think you need someone who's who's really got a strong background in player development and, and has a history of being able to you know to being able to turn things around yeah, I think you guys are right. I think there's still a reason to consider being more aggressive with a rebuild plan this season. And it's because of the fact that Malcolm and Tang have two seasons left if you count this one. So their trade value 
I think is higher right now because you get that extra season. Malkin, I can't see being someone you can trade because he's got a full no move. And I, I can't see him being someone who's going to want to wave it in the middle of the season with all the pandemic and everything. But Chris Letang has got an 18 team trade list. So there's 18 places you can trade Letang to. We know there's going to be a demand for the right-handed shot, the puck moving ability. And you, you get two playoff runs theoretically with Letang if you try to trade for him now. And I think that's something to consider just because you could get a really special haul. And, you know, Ryan, you mentioned Pierre-Olivier Joseph. And to me, it's significant what you're seeing him do in Pittsburgh right now because of what he represents what was he or what was traded to get him Phil Kessel it was an, an older veteran piece that was sold off and of course Galchenyuk was in the trade too but Joseph is almost like the, the proof of hey look look you you got it something for the future and now it's starting to arrive so it's okay to sometimes sell off that veteran piece and start getting ready for the next generation so I think what he represents is important and you know the Penguins of course are still a competitive team we know they're a competitive team but since 2017, they won the Stanley Cup in 2017. They've won one playoff series since then. Uh, it, it was the next year. They made it to round two against Washington, then they've lost in the first round a couple seasons after that. So I, I personally think that this team, this group is out of gas. The, the big question to me is, can you sell Crosby on it? And I know you guys touched on it as well. I, I'm torn because, you know, you do have a team, the Penguins have the longest active playoff streak, 14 years in a row. Second closest is six, six years, Nashville. So it's Pretty amazing what the Penguins have done. They haven't missed the playoffs since Crosby's rookie season. So he really doesn't know what it even feels like anymore. But on the other hand, if there's one player in the league that is so mature and worldly and, and cerebral understanding the big picture enough to be considering, you know, if I could, you know, my game is so defensively sound, I could still hang around and be good for several more years. Maybe Crosby is that guy because he's such a student and I think you have to consider you can still build around Crosby. You could build around John Marino and, and Jake Gensel as well. And like you said, Ryan, you got to start injecting picks back into the system because Samuel Poulin in our future watch edition last year, our scouting panel, he was ranked 38th out of hundred, hundred uh, individual prospects. And he's the only penguin that appeared in the top 100. So they're bottom of the barrel farm system. Only San Jose, I think rates lower. If that penguins are at best 30th, they might even be 31st last year. So you've got to, Start rebuilding that that pipeline. Oh, what's what's going on? Oh, oh, I, 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 oh, to I, yeah, I Can I say something? So yeah. I'll wait till you're finished. No, no. Just next time, just you can just raise your hand. Pretend we're okay. we're like in virtual school, like my daughter. Oh, oh, raise oh, your oh, hand. I'll, I'll tap you. Okay. I was mostly done anyway. So Kenny, go ahead. You have well, you know, it's funny you mentioned the playoff streak. You know what other team had a really long playoff streak and kept making moves in order to just make the playoffs so that they could keep that playoff streak going. I think yep. we know the answer to that question we and do. we're seeing, we're seeing the results of that now. Very in, true. Right, in case anybody didn't notice. <laughs> <laughs> Eventually you had to say that. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. Uh, so we saw in the news, there was, there were conflicting stories about Sam Bennett. There was a report from Elliot Friedman that came from, from his Bennett's agent, Darren Ferris about wanting a change of scenery. It was sort of misinterpreted as an official trade request. We found out later the flames had no idea about this. So there was no formal request, but the cat is kind of out of the bag now. So we know it's probable that Sam Bennett's going to get moved at some point. So I'm curious, you know, whether that happens or not, do you guys think that there is still potential to unlock in Bennett? And do you think he's going to thrive if he finds a new team or is he going to go down as a bust, the number four pick of the 2014 draft? Kenny, we'll start with you. Well, I, I think there's some, I think it's somewhere in between. I don't think he's going to be a bust. First of all, he wants out of Calgary. 
Um, Darren Ferris wants to get him out of Calgary. Darren Ferris wants to get Victor Mete out of Montreal. Whether there's been a, you know, a, a, an official sort of trade request made, I, I'm not sure, but I do know that the agent wants to get both of those players out of those situations. So that's, that's the starting point. Sam Bennett, to me, I'm, I'm not sure there's a whole lot of potential to unlock there. I, I don't think there actually is that much potential to unlock. Um, I'm not sure he's a bust either because he could be one of these guys that's a fourth line player who plays for, you know, 12 years or, you know, a long, long time. I think he, I hate this saying, but he is what he is. He's a, he's a grinding kind of guy who, you know, and, and I mean, we saw it, in the, I think it was the playoffs last year, the playoff bubble last year, he kind of, he kind of turned the corner and was, was, you know, really scoring some big goals and everybody was like, Oh, is this it? Is this it? No, this is not it because it's Sam Bennett. Right. So he's, he's a, a, a decent bottom six player who, uh, who is a bottom six player because, he doesn't have the, the offensive talent to be a top six player. And as much as the agent might want to get him out of there to give him another chance, I'm not sure that there's any other team where he fits into a top six situation unless they're like a really, really bad team. So, um, yeah, I, I think, you know, I think he is kind of just what you're seeing of Sam Bennett now is what you're going to get from Sam Bennett. Yeah, I agree. And it makes me think back to his draft year. And I remember when we were putting together draft preview, this was the Aaron Ekblad, Sam Reinhart, um, you know, dry saddle draft. And we were actually debating, I don't know if you remember this, Ken, but we were debating whether to put Sam Bennett first overall in draft uh, preview. Yeah, right? Holy cow. Yeah, because at the time there were some scouts that absolutely loved him. And the argument was, it's like, yeah, this kid, like, you know, he's got such a good motor. Um, you know, he could be like a Doug Gilmore kind of player. And, that, was good, that was a comparison. Yeah. Right. And it got me thinking recently because I was talking to a scout about players uh, right now. And we were talking about work ethic. And this guy was saying, you know what? You don't want to draft work ethic in the first round because eventually when you get to the NHL, everybody has a great work ethic. Mm. And I wonder if that's what happened with Sam Bennett is when he played junior, he was so much more dialed in than almost everybody else that he piled up points. He looked fantastic. Um, you know, he played the game the right way. And then as you get to the NHL, all of a sudden your best quality is just the baseline. And I, I think perhaps that was the, you know, that was the, the problem is that, you know, Sam Bennett obviously still does a lot of good things on the ice. And I remember recently he fought Darnell Nurse and I was like, whoa, why is Sam Bennett fighting Darnell Nurse? That seems like a terrible idea, but he held his own. Um, and he obviously still has that great drive in his game, but the offensive skills never got to that commensurate level. And yeah, so, I mean, is he going to be a bust because he went so high? I mean, that's so open to interpretation. I agree. I think he's going to be an NHLer for a long time because he can fill different roles, but not as a first liner, probably not even as a second liner at any point, most likely at best a third liner. So, you know, you got an NHLer with longevity, but you certainly didn't get one on the level of Leon Dreisaitl, who won one pick earlier. Mm -hmm. It's funny. I, I still think there's there's a nugget 
of potential to unlock in Bennett because and it's it's his situation reminds me a lot of Jack Rosselvix where it's the chicken and egg it's like you know he hasn't really gotten an opportunity his, his current average ice time is 14 minutes a game roughly so it's like did he is he not getting an opportunity or did he not earn the opportunity you can always say it's the chicken and egg but I still think it shows that we haven't really seen what he could do with a, a larger role and you know I looked into his analytics I was writing about him earlier this week and he's been an above average driver of play in terms of generating his own chances and I think he profiles as at worst a third liner but maybe someone that if he was given a chance as a second liner I don't think first liner I think we know he's not a first liner but I wonder on a certain team if you gave him a look at at as a second liner could you unlock him and I see some interesting parallels so Sam Bennett's 24 years old he can play uh, the wing or center he's left wing right now but he's had desire in the past at times to play center and the Vegas Golden Knights picked up a 24 year old who was a decent prospect, not the pedigree of Bennett, but it could play left wing and center. And he eventually got a look at center and he scored 43 goals. And his name was William Carlson. So I'm wondering about Seattle putting in a claim for Sam Bennett. I did a mock expansion draft a few months ago and eventually I, I settled on Bennett as the claim. And what's interesting for me is, you know, what do you do if you're Calgary? Because you have a guy who you know doesn't want to be there anymore. So are you best off just leaving him available to be claimed? Because I do think my projected protection scheme would be 731. So I do think that's the guy that, that Seattle would go for because there's undeniable upside, in my opinion, still left to tap into. So do you, do you keep Sam Bennett just to be used in the expansion draft? Because if you trade him now, you're going to mess up your plan because you're going to bring in another guy who then you might have to expose anyway, or bringing in another player will force you to expose a different guy that you didn't want to expose. If you trade him for a defenseman, then you may have to consider protecting four defensemen, which leaves three forwards exposed. You lose Dylan Dubé, something like that. So I'm, that's my kind of assertion I wrote about it this week. Maybe your best play with Bennett is just deliberately keep him on board and let him play out the season. And maybe he has another good playoff run, as he tends to do. And maybe he gets claimed by Seattle, and then he revives his career. That's my, my idea, at least. Let's do some mailbag questions. And, and the first one, uh, this, this is a funny one. This guy is called Joe with the Vikings. At first, he just wrote Matt Murray, and then he, he added, he was like, oh, let me rephrase. Matt Murray, what the heck? And, you know, it has been really ugly for Matt Murray in Ottawa. He's got a, an 849 save percentage. So a lot of people are, are asking that question. I know what's happened to Matt Murray. But before we get into that, I, I want to start by trying to defend Matt Murray, and I'll see what you guys think, if you agree with me or not, okay? So he's got the 849 save percentage. The only guy, last I checked, the only guy with the worst save percentage is Hogberg, who's also an Ottawa senator. So what does that tell you? The, the loss to the Oilers, the, the, the defensemen that Ottawa dressed were Eric Branson, Artem Zub, Mike Riley, Braden Coburn, Josh Brown, Nikita Zaitsev. So that's the group that in the senator's most recent game was playing in front of Murray. And your second worst in the NHL expected goals against per 60 as a team. Senators are allowing the third most chances, eighth most high danger chances. So I'm not ready to give up on Murray yet. I know he's coming off a bad season and, you know, he needs to be better. And maybe he's pressing a bit because of the contract, but he's not getting helped. If you have someone who already maybe had a little bit of a mental hurdle to get over after last season, you put him in the the situation that the Senators are in. And the goalie playing with you has an even lower save percentage. I don't know how you can blame Murray. I don't. I, I don't blame Murray yet, personally. Where do you land, Ryan? Yeah, I don't. I don't blame him for this season at all because I mean, you just mentioned Ottawa's defense, and I mean, you know, as a team defense, they're wretched as well. 
Um, I do think he got figured out a bit. Um, you know, because if you think about those first two Stanley Cups, I think he played 13 regular season games, and then, you know, he took over for Fleury in the playoffs, and he was an unknown quantity, and that can be really helpful uh, if you're a goaltender. Same thing with Jordan Bennington in St. Louis. Uh, soon after that, you look at the second year, and, you know, he played more games, but it still wasn't that much, and I, I don't think teams had a book on him. After that, you started to see the save percentage come down, um, culminating in you know, a pretty rough final season in Pittsburgh. And then obviously coming into Ottawa, it's been a disaster. So I don't think he's this bad. I also don't think he's as good as the Matt Murray that won two Stanley Cups with Pittsburgh because I think he was so fresh that he had an advantage and I don't know if he's ever going to get that back, but I think he can still be a, a pretty decent starter, but it's going to be a, a rough couple of years in Ottawa because I mean, they're going to be bad defensively this year, next year, and we'll see the year after that. I mean, this is a team that's going to take a long time to get all the pieces in place that it needs to be competitive. And, uh, and maybe they will and they'll be great, but it's going to take a lot of time. Yeah, you know, and, and I get that part that you guys are saying that they're a bad defensive team and that, you know, these, these subpar NHL defensemen are playing in front of them, but we knew that. We knew it was going to be like that. That's why they went out and got the guy. They got Matt Murray because they knew that they were going to be bad defensively. They knew they needed someone back there with some pedigree and, 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 and could, 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 you know, could sort of keep this team in games you know, and while the kids sort of figured things out. And obviously that hasn't happened. I mean, I'm no goaltending expert, but his goals against differential right now is minus 10.61. I don't even know what that means, but I know that the next guy is like minus four, the next worst guy, like it's not even close. Um, so, but I am willing to cut Matt Murray some slack here and I'll tell you why. Um, this summer, he basically changed his entire style. I was talking to his goaltending coach and he basically, you know, just, just sort of ripped up the plan, uh, went to a completely different style where he's now, you know, it's all about economy of movement and, you know, it's about tracking the puck and, and everything like that. It was the same guy who basically revived Connor Hellebuck's career. Cause Connor Hellebuck was kind of in the dumper and this guy, this goalie coach worked with Connor Hellebuck and then Connor Hellebuck became the Vezina trophy winner. So maybe I guess if there's one sort of shred of thing to, to kind of, you know, grasp onto, it's that, you know, maybe he's still kind of finding himself in this new style that he's playing. And once he hits a groove, it'll get a lot better. Um, but it's really ugly right now. Those are very interesting points because it does make you wonder if you know if this is just a season almost like a golfer <laughs> testing out a swing you're gonna have to have some bad rounds and if they know the centers aren't going to be competitive they have to just let him work through it very interesting insight the weird thing about murray to me is you know last year he was really bad with pittsburgh the penguins are really good defensively and, and historically murray's done better with more work now he's getting the work and the results aren't there yet but maybe they come eventually we'll do a couple more questions and then we'll get to rapid fire uh next question is from michael ludi i believe that's how you pronounce it i'm taking a guess have you found some of the recent decisions by NHL player safety against supplemental discipline for apparent hits to the head to be worthy of discussion? Yes, I do, but maybe not for the reason you might think, Michael. Um, but it does highlight a discussion that I try to push out there a lot. And I think that the often the, the sort of 
general public consensus when, when they're angry at, at player safety for this stuff is they're not understanding that the, the Department of Player Safety is beholden to the rule book. And that's something that they always try to hammer home. If you talk to them, they can only make their suspension decisions based on if a player's actually violated a rule. And the example they used to, to cite to me was if you go back to the Matt Cook hit in 2010 on Mark Savard that ended Mark Savard's career, Rule 48, the amendment to Rule 48 didn't exist yet. So you couldn't, like, th there was no illegal check to the head penalty. You could base a suspension on. So you had to let Matt Cook go free, even though you hated the hit. Then what do they do? They changed the rule. They introduced rule 48.1. And now you can't do that anymore. So in terms of these hits to the head, what you under we have to understand about the rule book is that incidental head contact is allowed. It just can't be the principal point of contact, but collisions in which, you know, you nail a guy in the chest and then you clip his jaw as you're following through the hit. That's a legal hit. Even if you don't like it, even if the player safety department, they might not like it either, but they have no choice. They got this rule book in their hand. They have to make the calls based on what's in there. So I do think it's worthy of discussion because of what Ken Dryden said a few years ago, just, you know, he's advocating for banning all forms of head contact, including incidental, which I fully support too. But for it to happen, you can't drill it into player safety. You have to change the rule book. Once you do that, then they can call it. They can suspend all those hits. So that's where I, I land on that. Uh, Mr. Kennedy, what do you think, sir? I think it's been pretty decent so far. I looked at, you know, I look at the Kevin Fiala suspension on, on Matt Roy, three games, but it's a 56 game season. So is that technically more like a five game suspension? And, you know, Kevin Fiala is not a dirty player. He doesn't have, you know, a, a long rap sheet of suspensions by any imagine, you know, stretch of the imagination. He's a skilled guy. So I think they came through on that one. And, you know, there was some, other hits that I know people were upset about that, you know, upon replay, the head was not the principal point of contract, uh, contact. Um, so, yeah, I mean, I'm fine. Uh, I think that by and large, they've, they've done their job on headshots. Yeah. I, I mean, I mean, they look at it from every angle. I mean, I thought the Tyler, the Tyler Myers hit early in the season. I didn't think that was a headshot. Um, I thought he got him in, he got him in the chest and then it, it went up the, the hit on Jesperi Kotkaniemi the other night, I thought was a headshot. I, uh, to me, it looked like a complete, uh, you know, it, it looked like a textbook headshot, but these guys are looking at it from every angle. They look at it hundreds of times. They look at the position of approach and everything. And, and I, I guess, you know, I mean, Matt, I, I would agree with you. I think, I think player safety is beholden to the rule book. But I think player safety is also beholden to the NHL overlords who I think say sort of that, that they want the game played a certain way. Um, so I, th I think there is that as well. Um, but, you know, I mean, mostly it's because there's not, you know, I mean, you can't penalize something that technically isn't a penalty. So um, the headshots, I mean, it's, it's, I, I don't think there's going to be any sort of consensus on this until, like you said, Matt, they, they, it's just, you know, headshot and it's a penalty. Okay. So we're going to skip the last question. We're going to put the rapid and rapid fire. We're going to put it to the test because sources indicate that Ken's computer battery is randomly suddenly dying and he might drop out in the middle of this. So we're going to truly put it to the test. We got to be the most rapid we've ever been in rapid fire. And if Ken drops out, well, it's no holds barred. So Ryan, you ask the questions, Ken, you are the first answer. I'm second. Let's begin. Okay, if you could have the powers of any member of the X-Men, who would it be? Ken, go. I don't even know who the X-Men are. Jesus. I know there's a bunch with Marvel and a bunch with another one, but who are who are the X-Men? 
like Wolverine. Okay, I'll take him. I'll take him because he's Hugh Grant, and my wife loves Hugh Grant. Hugh Jackson, but that's okay. Matt, go. <laughs> Uh, I also going to choose Wolverine because of his regeneration powers. You can live for generations. Maybe it becomes a curse, though. He doesn't seem very happy. I already regret my answer, but still, Wolverine. Exactly. I go teleportation, Nightcrawler, a.k.a. Kurt Wagner, the best member of the X-Men. Next, Ottawa over under 9.5 wins this season. Ken? In 56 games. They're one in whatever right now. I'll take the end. Oh, there goes Ken. <laughs> Okay, Ken's gone. Ken has been eliminated from the game. <laughs> okay, but he got a question, and I'll continue the game in honor of Ken. <laughs> so, uh, I will say uh, I'm going to take the over. I think they're going to figure it out to a degree, and they, you know, they win 12 games or something. Mm, I'm taking the under because I think everybody else needs those points, so they will have no easy games. Next question, I guess, Matt, it's up to you now. Uh, who is the best member of the Traveling Wilburys? Bob Dylan, Tom Petty, George Harrison, Roy Orbison, or the other guy? I'm going to say Bob Dylan. Just better career, better writer, has done more. And I also, I challenge you to call on Steven, like WWE style, to, to run down to the ring and finish the rapid fire on behalf of Ken. Steven. Nice. All right, what was the question? What was the question? Best member of the Traveling Wilburys, which is before your time. I literally have never heard of that ever. <laughs> they were a super group of old guys. Okay, the correct answer is Roy Orbison because nobody could do what he did. Also, he had one of the only good songs featuring timpani drums, Dinosaur Jr. being the other one. Next question. Who will have the better legacy with the New York Rangers when all is said and done? Anthony D'Angelo or Sean Avery? Ooh. I'm going to say Sean Avery because more of his antics kind of landed on the side of comedy, you know, like calling Martin Bordera fatso. And also politically, Avery is more about inclusivity, right? So he, he's a fighter for, for gay rights, for example. So I think that Tony D's legacy will be worse than Sean Avery's. Sean Avery was a fan favorite to a lot of people. So I got to go with that one too. Yeah. I also got to go with Sean Avery uh, because he turned to Rodeur, which is great for a Rangers fan. Also, it's a sports bar in New York, or he did at least. Uh, so I agree there. Final question. Best old school car chase movie. So no Fast and Furious. I'm talking about huge boat-sized sedans bombing through cities. Who you got? Uh, I got to say The French Connection. It's one of the original car chase movies. William Friedkin and Gene, Hackson, Gene Hackman, Popeye Doyle racing against the, the, the train is an iconic movie scene. Best picture in 1971. Nice. I'm, I'm going, I'm going to thank the second Gone in 60 Seconds movie. I watched that movie when I was like, like five and it was very inappropriate to watch when you're five years old, but it was pretty damn cool. Nice. I'm going to go off the board with the Blues Brothers, which I just rewatched. It has two iconic car chase scenes. One also involves them driving under a bridge a la the French Connection. And just the pile up of cop cars in there is fantastic. Plus, I think we can all agree that we hate Illinois Nazis. Rapid fire them. All righty. That was the, the most bizarre game of rapid fire we've done. Ken was Ken perished in the middle of it. But, you know, hey, it happens. No, hold, no holds barred out there. Hope you enjoyed the podcast this week. We'll be back next week with more hockey talk and i'll be back later this week with some fantasy hockey talk peace out